What's up, guys? Welcome to the first episode of the Fractal Exploratorium. My name is DJ Brule, and I'm joined by my guest, uh, audio engineer, Nick Tantillo. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me. I have him on here to kind of just give us a you know, different perspective. Uh, someone who doesn't really know too, too much on the topic is relatively new to it. So um, see what kind of unique perspective he has to offer to this. Yeah, hopefully I can provide some insight to those of us who aren't quite as educated on, on DJ's uh, philosophies as they can get quite confusing at times. I'm going to delve into some pretty complex theories. Uh, so basically, the Fractal Exploratorium is going to be uh, a series where we go into my idea for fractal architecture. Uh, we're going to explore a lot of different themes that kind of coincide with the whole idea and the whole, like, there's going to be an interconnectedness um, of ideas that uh, come into this uh, unifying web, which is basically going to be my idea of fractal architecture, which is a new type of architecture that I just invented. So, um, you know, I'm going to explore it and see what we could come up with. So, in this podcast, I'm going to go over many different scientific ideas. A lot of it's going to be very scientifically driven. But there's going to be elements of uh, history, politics, and just many other different topics that we're going to go into depth. Um, in this first episode, I'm going to talk about how my idea of fractal architecture is important to the world. At least for me, it is. And maybe see who else would be interested in the idea. The idea is, you know, talk, is, a, is a pretty broad idea um it, it does deal in architecture but even if you're not interested in architecture you, there's going to be a lot of very unique ways in which other th ideas are going to play into the the idea of fractal architecture and basically uh start off with what is a fractal so a lot of people think uh fractal is uh, some sort of cool geometric figure they saw on the internet and you know, at first, that's a lot of what I thought it was. You know, a lot of people uh, equate the term fractal with um, sacred geometry. And what we're going to be talking about here, we'll talk a little bit about sacred geometry, but that's not what the main focus of um, fractals is. And that's not the main definition. A fractal is a self-similar pattern that repeats in on itself, no matter the amount of magnification. So, for example, it would be like looking at a pattern at the atomic scale and then scaling it up and looking at that same pattern look similar at the scale of a galaxy. So the, the, the scale is, is unlimited when it comes to fra fractals. So fractals are an idea that have been around for a long time, ever since humans started to notice patterns. Uh, some might say that our ability to notice patterns is what makes us specifically unique as a um, organic organism that lives on this earth and as like humans opposed to other living organisms or well um it's our, our abilities to recognize patterns is what makes us uniquely intelligent it's what gives us foresight into the future and why we can see things before they happen and predict the probability of the next thing happening right i was going to say like our ability to predict and and th this comes from a very uh, other animals do have this, but they have it in a very um, natural, uh, instinct, instinctual kind of way. So they don't think of the future uh, in the abstracts like we do. They think of it in a lot more simple terms. Like dogs, for example, live in the moment, but they have pattern recognition where, um, for example, Pavlov's dogs uh, have what's called uh, classical conditioning. And it, it, I don't know if you've heard of the experiment, but it's where, you know, he rings a bell and then the dog has a stimulus response of salivation because it equates the bell with being fed. So that's something it learned. And that's that's a pattern. Then that's over repetition, though, as the story goes. Correct. <clears throat> but that's a pattern. Patterns are repetition. Patterns Absolutely. repeat. And fractals are, 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 are repetition. But the thing is about fractals is that they're infinitely more complex than most patterns we see even though fractal patterns are everywhere they're in our everyday lives without us realizing it a lot of us live day to day in a fractal pattern and have no idea what the term is or even that that pattern exists and the cool thing is is that once you 
you know, become I, I don't want to use the word enlightened, but I can't say for lack of a better aware. term, uh, more Almost. aware or you know you know just more in tuned with noticing the complexity of a of a dynamic a complex dynamic system, which is a a, a fractal uh, is representative of. Is a, is a complex dynamic system, and uh, I will talk about complex dynamic systems in a minute here. But the the point I'm trying to get at is that why should you be interested in fractals? You know, if they're just an abstract, uh, you know, more esoteric idea, then why should I even care to learn about how these patterns occur? Well, it's because every day in our lives, fractals are everywhere, and they're integral to the systems which keep us alive and to our behavioral patterns, uh, sociological patterns, as well as psychological patterns. Uh, our, our brain is a neural network of patterns. So our very essence and our very life runs on uh, fractal patterns. Is our DNA a fractal pattern? Oh, yes. The double helix is an example of a fractal pattern. Cool. Uh, it's an example of a Fibonacci sequence, another thing that I will talk about farther See, down the line. I already got your mind turning. <laughs> Yeah, so d double helix is uh, a fractal. So our very essence, you know, our very DNA. And the other reason that fractals are so important is because the pattern is intrinsic in our universal makeup. Uh, our, our universe is made of fractals. And it seems inherent within the very fabric of our universe to have these patterns made up inside of them. So why should you be interested? Well, right now, we live in a very technological world, a world filled with amazing computing power, computing power that seems to grow at an exponential rate, computing power that is leading to advanced automation and advanced dynamic systems. We need to figure out where our place in these advanced dynamic systems is going to be. We are living in an antiquated society, a society that is based off of old understanding and old rules. Our society is being continuously driven by technological advancement, rapid exponential technological advancement that does not seem to have any sign of slowing down anytime soon. It's almost like you have to kill the, kill the sacred cows. Have you ever heard of that term? No. So it's like uh, I was reading this book and they, they kind of speak on the principle that in order to get places now in the new world, you have to sort of somehow kill the old sacred held, um, you know, tradition some, some, sometimes and you have to, to move on with your own different view and, and, and change things. You can't always have those cows that are the same. You have to kill those sacred cows sometimes to, to move forward with new okay. things. Yeah, that, that would be a good saying. Um, that, that definitely... It's an interesting that, one. <laughs> that's definitely applicable to this situation and, and this idea that I'm talking about. Right, because it seems like you're speaking of like, you know, moving forward in a way. Well, it is. I'm talking about an exponential growth that's um, inevitable and that is happening whether we like it or not. And, you know, a lot of people have heard um, the talk on advanced AI and with uh, quantum computing, which uses some of the same equations that go into fractal design, um are pushing the technology even farther than we could ever imagine. Um, for example, fractals are what led to the advancement of uh, highly lifelike video games. Like the reality ones that we have now. Well, well, the, yeah. Well, the AR well, stuff. why you go into a game and the graphics are like, oh my God, this is, this is like real. These... This video game looked better than some of the environments I go out and see. Uh, the, you know, I like the new Red Dead Redemption too. It looks, it, it looks insanely real. And the reason that these games can be so advanced nowadays is for two different reasons. And one of the main reasons is because of fractal uh, computational design. Is the ability to Creative fractal design is what a lot of um, open world sandbox game environments use, like Oblivion. And um, when you're playing GTA V and you're, you're, you know, cruising down a mountain in your car, you're cruising over thousands of different geometric polygons. Right, because you can you have the decision to go left, right, straight. Yes. I mean, at, at any way time you want. So, and, and one of the reasons um, compute uh, video games were so 
were so archaic in the beginning and the graphics were so bad is because we only had certain amount of uh, gigabytes of memory. Which, does that limit the amount of outcomes well, in, that, in a sense? That, that, that limits how much polygons, geometric figures, you can put into the game. So games that were um, not as advanced had low polygon count and thus not as much memory to be able to store that many polygons, which is why games are only side-scrollers. And when you start pushing the 3D environment, uh, games started to become a lot more difficult to create because the amount of storage capacity that was inside of our game cartridges, which is why N64 was, um, you know, the game cartridges were really so big, there was only so many polygons you could pack into each game. And that's what makes the game's graphics look good, is how many polygons. And so um, a while while back, one of the first popularizations of a fractal was by IBM. There was a guy by the name of uh, Manderbot, and he was a scientist hired by IBM to come up with advancing their computers further. And he came up with what's called the Mandelbrot set. And the Mandelbrot set is basically a very... It's a very simple mathematical equation, and it's an equation that is um, plugged in to itself. So the last variable uh, output is what is the new, you know, um, variable input of the next mathematical equation. So, so it's like a fractal. It's, it's yeah, endless. It, well, that that's what these that's what the equations are. Fractals are uh, expressed in you know mathematical uh, language. So is anything that's essentially repeating a fractal, or I mean, made up of uh, something that has to do with fractal? Yes. So uh, self-repeating, self-similar, self-assembling uh, component in our system. So to really understand fractals and how they're applicable to us, we we must look at what complex dynamic systems are. So. It seems pretty self-explanatory. Uh, a dynamic is something that is changing and not static. A uh, system is something that has um, multiple functions that develop over time or are expressed over a period of time. So any almost anything could be a system, like a, a pendulum is a system. And that's one of the most basic mathematical models of, of a dynamic system is a pendulum swinging. And so how this factors into our fractals is that a fractal is basically an expression of the dynamic system. It, it shows how a dynamic complex system with chaotic variables can be uh, in, a, in a more predictable uh, probability state of how you see it that that one was a lot for me to wrap my my brain around so i'll i'll, I'll try to i'll try to break it down um what, what all of what i'm saying is that uh fractals can predict um the the outcome of something that seems very chaotic at first uh they could they could be used to uh like like when you're when you're looking at some of these mathematical uh you know, geometry that is created, like the Mandelbrot set, which is, which is a visual math math. So it's the it's math expressed in visual geometry. I feel like this fractal pattern um, idea is more prevalent once you let something go for a long amount of time, or yes. after. It, it's a it's a pattern over a long period of time. It's not just the pattern of you know. Like you were saying pre-show about throwing a baseball, it's not just the pattern of you know three pitches; it's the pattern over hundreds of pitches. Yes, yes, and, and sometimes a pattern might not be evident until many what is called iterations. So it, it, iterations are are the many times that this pattern is repeated over and over again, and the more iterations you have, usually the more complex of a system that is being expressed because. The more you have, the more different variable inputs there are to the fractal system. So as I was saying with um, dynamic systems, they're, they're infinitely self-similar. And they have mathematical sets that exceed their um, topological dimension. So if I have to break that down, topological uh, dimension is... Um, 
is a space in which several different um, ways of defining the dimension are expressed. So um, it's hard. It's hard to put that in kind of a basic understanding, but it's basically just a space in which uh, uh, dimensions, different dimensions, like uh, if you're drawing on a paper, you draw two. Uh, length, width, and then you draw a height. That's third dimension. So that would be a topological space. It's like another axis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, it's just talking about axises. I mean, topological space is just a space in which uh, axises uh, exist. And what, what this kind of leads me into is what I have to do at my job. So I am a structural technician, and I worked at a structural engineering company where we worked on many different uh, transportation and uh, water type projects. And in these projects, there's many different variable uh, inputs. Uh, it's, we're de we deal with complex systems of transportation and uh, water management. And water is a prime example of what um, a fractal pattern could be in a complex system because water is a fluid state which seems very chaotic. There's not very easy ways to predict what water will do or how water will run. And water inevitably, when paired with gravity and dirt, produces what is called erosion. Now, <laughs> interesting thing, erosion patterns are fractal that occur with those variable inputs. It almost sounds through the first, what, 15 minutes of this, that everything is sort of a, a fractal. Yes, that, that is a reoccurring thing. I'm getting is, at here. Is that everything is sort of a fractal, and that'll be a defining concept of what this uh, podcast is about. And, and is that kind of the basis of your theory that you're kind of introducing here? Yes, and, and, and what we'll, we'll do over the course of many episodes is discuss how there's many different interplays here with the idea of fractal architecture and that it's not going to solely just be about architecture, but it's going to be about redefining a paradigm shift that is occurring with the marriage of technology and architecture within our natural earth systems. So the, the point here is to try to understand complex dynamic systems in nature and how we could best construct a building to interact with those complex dynamic systems. Now, now what do you mean by a paradigm shift? Well, a, par a paradigm shift is, is, is a shift in, it could be a way of thinking in a, a technological shift. It's where the, um, the ideas of the time radically shift. So you could say there's been several paradigm shifts throughout history, and that one of the big ones was during the Renaissance. People a lot of times consider to be one of those paradigm shifts where there was a shift from a dark ages of scientifically uh, illogical uh, thought to a age of rebirth of ideas. Oh, this, is where, this is where the history comes in, is that uh, the, one of the reasons that we've been in the, we had the dark ages was because the library of Alexandria was burned and we learned, we lost a lot of our, um, intellectuals like, like knowledge yeah we, we lost a lot of knowledge and a lot of that knowledge was lost for a long time until the renaissance era came along thank god we can make hundreds of thousands of copies of books now so. and, and, and what happened is that they took those books and they they translated them and in the renaissance and you know cities like venice sent out uh, scholars to collect all this lost information so so after the scholars transcribed this information to uh, you know Italian Latin basically they were able to regain a lot of the lost ancient knowledge from the Greeks now the Greeks had advanced mathematics during their time and amazingly the Greeks actually incorporated fractals into their design knowingly or well I mean did they find out later I would, in a way? I would say somewhat knowingly and the reason i say somewhat knowingly is because the greeks were extremely precise with their measurements and they didn't back then you didn't build things just because you thought it looked nice you were building with your hands and you were chipping out this marble stone 
meaning you couldn't F up because if you screwed up a column, well, there goes all that months of work on that one damn column, and you have to go back. So they did things very intentionally. Now, did they know they were making a Fibonacci sequence? I don't think so. I don't think they knew that much, but they did know that there was golden proportions and that there was some sort of divine proportion. Yeah, it's like the golden ratio. Yes, and that leads me into my next part. <laughs> uh, the Fibonacci sequence is the golden ratio is how it's been referred to. Now, how it works is it is the sum of two input numbers plus the sum before that. So... For example, you will have one and one is how it usually starts. That equals two. Then those two numbers, the last two numbers in the sequence will equal the net sequence number. So then you have one and two. That's three. Then you add three and two, five, then eight, and so on, so on, so on. So it is the, the, the variable output is what the past two sums were. So it's the product of the sum of two past previous variables that are the output of the system. And that can continue. And that's considered the golden ratio or the golden proportions. Most fractal designs that we see are the Fibonacci sequence. Our DNA strand is a Fibonacci sequence where the previous two sums are equal to the product of the next sum in the sequence. And so the sequence keeps... Uh, building up exponentially each time you add up the two previous sums. Because each time the two previous sums equal a number that is um, far greater than the last two sums would have been if it was just a regular non... Now, if it, okay, if it was a non-exponential growth, you wouldn't see that kind of uh, uh, numbers with the each uh, segment that comes afterwards. So because Fibonacci equals the sum of the past two sums, it grows exponentially. So as, as I mentioned before, exponential growth is also a growth pattern seen in our com computational capabilities of computers and how much storage we can save in our computers. So what I'll briefly touch on is uh, Moore's law states our capacitor or resistor capacity. So our resistor capacity is what makes up are chips. So if you see like um, Intel i7, it has a ton of microscopic tiny resistors, which allow for uh, the computational pattern of that. So it's uh, it, how much memory you can store. And as I touched on that before with our video games, how much memory we could store in each video game was dependent upon the resistor capacity. And what Moore's Law states is that each iteration of resistor capacity would increase exponentially each time. So it would double the last um, time that it was, how, how much its capacity was, would double with each iteration, with each time it came out, which is why you see things like um, back in the day, they used to have massive computers that took up whole buildings just for like five gigabytes, which, which was even yeah. then was a lot. Yeah. And now that's that's a joke. You're like, fuck gigabytes. That's nothing. What the hell? Right. This doesn't store anything. You speaking about it, uh, it keep, my mind keeps going to like the idea of RAM in a computer, in a way. You well, see, you, you speak, well see, RAM is random access memory. So, I, I mean that that's your random access memory. That's not that's not um, like um, it's kind of it's kind of a little bit different, but it does. It's not your processor. So it's not how much processes you can make, but it's uh, it's random access memory that's accessed after your um your computer is turned on. So that that kind of helps speed up processes because it has uh, different memory stored on it that you don't have to pull from your hard drive, which takes a little bit longer, even if you have a solid state. So it's it's a little different, but yes, uh, it, they do have resistors on it. And what what Moore's law states is that resistor capacity will increase exponentially. Now, um, lately, it's, it's, it has criticism that, oh, well, Moore's Law is going to end soon. Uh, we've had as much <laughs> resistor capacity as we can, and at the exponential growth, we should see a slowdown in. 
Now, the, the reason I would argue against claims that Moore's Law is going to slow down soon, it will slow down eventually. It can't continue infinitely, although, although fractals can. Just, I don't, just by the nature of it? Or? I, I think by the, uh, the limit of our technology and capability. So you what, think that there's a cap? Yes, but, however, with the new age of quantum computing, which is computing at the quantum scale, uh, scale smaller than an atom, because right now we have resistors down to an atom size, and here's, here's one of the issues with resistor capacity, is that you can't place these nodes, these resistors, too close to each other, or they'll short out the circuit. So right now they have them as close as they can without humanly being able to touch and have a current flow between them and short out the circuit. And so they've minimized them as much as they can, and they're packing them as close together as they can. So you're like, okay, well, you can't increase capacity too much more now that you've uh, done that. Like, like what else are you going to do? But, but now they've come up with a system called vertical stacking, where instead of 2D putting out these resistors in a layout in a chip, they're starting to stack them on top of each other so they don't short out. <laughs> it's like the idea of a city building up yeah, words yeah. rather than... It's almost like some of these ideas from life uh, are recycled in fractal, which is, be some things being recycled is a fractal. It's like everything is fractal now that I now you got my mind going about it. Self-similarity. And w- once you start to look more into fractals and w- what exactly they are, the more evident it comes that it is in every aspect of our life, every single aspect of our life, not even just in the abstract and talking about it academically in academia. What about like very, um, you know, like driving, what about your morning routine? Could that be a fractal or driving to work? Could that be a fractal? Oh yeah. You probably do the same damn things every morning. I know I do. I sit in the same traffic flow going down the same freeway and I witnessed some of the same behaviors. So it's more tangible rather than abstract. Well, it is, it is more tangible. And, and matter of fact, and this is a perfect segue into what I'm going to talk about next. And that is uh, chaos theory. Chaos theory and fractals are very similar to each other. Um, yeah, some of the equations are similar. And it's, it's basically uh, a very close marriage between the two right now. And... Chaos theory basically talks about complex dynamic systems and how there is chaotic input into them. So there was this real interesting experiment done called the uh, double pendulum experiment. And that's where two pendulums are pivoted together in the center. So one pendulum is hung from uh, a... uh, a point of swinging, so where you would swing, and then there is another pendulum attached to that pendulum. Now, when you spin these pendulums, it shows random lines being drawn. So imagine the path that this pendulum takes would be the line that's being drawn on the two-dimensional piece of paper. And this is something that we can find online, right? Yes. This is is something this graphic. Yeah, you can look it up. We'll Uh, we'll go ahead and throw this in the show notes for you guys. You can can go on, even in Wikipedia, to go and look on Chaos Theory, and it will have the double pendulum graphic. Uh, It's basically like a GIF that shows you um, what this double pendulum, uh, double rod pendulum animation is. And what it, what it is exhibiting is chaotic behavior because it is extremely deterministic on its initial conditions. Now, this is a reoccurring pattern within chaos theory is initial conditions are the conditions in which something starts out as. So before any of the other variables are input, this is the first thing that drives how the system is going to react is its initial condition. So the conditions that lead up to the act of actually swinging the pendulum will be very deterministic. So those type of initial conditions will be like uh, velocity, uh, how hard the pendulum is dropped, um, how long the pendulums are, and what degree of rotation each pendulum has. Those will initially... So like pre- predetermined variables. Yes, yes. Those are conditions that are input before the system is ran. Now, after you drop this pendulum is after the initial conditions have already been met. And so what starts to happen is this pendulum swings very chaotically. 
and extremely carry imagine just flailing your hands about randomly or if you were to randomly go up to a paper put some pencil down to it and randomly draw without looking that would be a uh, example of chaotic uh, behavior so chaotic behavior is exhibited everywhere to us um it's mostly exhibited in one of the best examples is in weather systems uh, weather systems are driven by initial conditions such as uh, uh, barometric pressure, uh, the dew point, uh, the amount of moisture, uh, wind patterns are all initial conditions that go into the creation of a complex dynamic system like weather. Uh, weather is an example of uh, something that exhibits chaotic behavior, which is why you'll see newscaster, newscasters go, oh, no way it's going to rain today, and then it rains that day. It's not because they're lying to you. It's because they can only go off of the initial conditions that are met and then judge the probability based upon initial conditions. They can't judge the chaotic behavior that happens after initial conditions have been met. So uh, is, so chaos theory is just one of many different theories that play into fractal. I mean, so in a way, so, so I'm looking at the back of this acoustic panel that's sitting in front of us here, and it's got a very uniform um, weaving pattern that's the same. It's not chaotic. Now, this pattern over and over and over would be an example of fra a fractal pattern, would it not? It, it would. And but it's, it, not a, it's not an example of chaos well, theory, though, well, is it? Well, uh, um, I'll, I'll explain how they tie in. Uh, they don't tie in exactly as you would expect. Um, chaos theory, uh, as I just, I just talked about the whole chaotic part of it, but here's the part that most people don't realize, is that chaos theory isn't talking about how everything is chaotic it talks about how through chaos a pattern emerges so the point i was getting to is that this double pendulum after you've run it for x amount of time a pattern starts to emerge because once initial conditions have been met and once every different variable output so there's only so many directions this pendulum can swing there's only so many ways in which it can swing after you've run it over and over again a pattern starts to emerge and what you get from this pattern is the Lorenz attractor. It, and it's a, um, it's a mathematical equation. And what you get is something similar to that. And what it looks like is the wings of a butterfly. And this is where it comes the term butterfly effect. We get it from... And it all ties in with you, the, doesn't it? Yes. The, the Lorenz attractor. Now, what you start to notice is that these chaotic systems start to exhibit patterns and they start to exhibit patterns over the duration of time. Now where these fractal patterns is what they end up becoming because they become self-repeating patterns that happen over time. So if you keep running the Lorenz attractor, um, you run it again, essentially the same pattern will show up in on itself. So a self-similar pattern. And uh, this, this pattern is exhibited by, a couple of different uh, differential equations. Uh, I won't go into what these equations are. Uh, we're just here to talk about the concept of the product of these equations. But um, essentially, it came from a simplified mathematical uh, atmospheric convection model. So as you know, atmospheric convection is an extremely driven by initial condition. And I, I don't know what that is actually. You say as I know. I think some of us and uh, some of us may not know. Uh, atmospheric convection. So um, that that's basically the, the the temperature difference in the layers of atmosphere. So um, uh, for example, uh, the heat island effect, which is the effect that most of our cities cause, because we're uh, we have a ton of concrete. That concrete absorbs heat and then releases it later at night. So if you live in a hot place like here in Arizona, if you go outside uh, late at night when it's cooled down, you can still feel the heat radiating off the pavement. Uh, this would be a, a form of atmospheric convection. Okay, that makes sense. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a, um, it's, it's a thermodynamic uh, property that, uh, you know, of um, thermal transfer between the different layers of atmosphere. So um, this is this would be another initial condition for a weather pattern. So that that that's one of the um, that's one of the that's another really complex 
system with tons of variables and initial conditions. And uh, there's a model to calculate this. And that's what the Lorenz equations uh, will uh, calculate. And that's what it shows. So it's the ability to sort of predict. Yeah. Yeah. And these are the Lorenz equations. So they're not the Lorenz attractors. So don't get those two mixed up. The attractors are a you know, geometric figure of uh, differential equations plugged into themselves uh, that produce uh, chaotic initial conditions and end up becoming a pattern once run many times over. So what, so what this would be called is an iteration. So chaos theory deals in iterations. And that is um, the amount of times. So you say you plug that equation in and then you plug it into itself. That's one iteration, for example. So the almost the amount of times that you're, you know, multiplying by or creating that exponential growth by. Yes. Yeah. You could, you could say that. I mean, it doesn't have to be exponential growth necessarily. Uh, it, it, it could, but uh, that could be each iteration with, um, uh, with, if we're talking relation to uh, the, you know, uh, memory capacity of, right. of uh, resistors, you could say with each like five years or so, that's right. an iteration because, you know, it's a jump. Right. But I understand it's essentially like every time you go around the track, that's one iteration. Yeah. So, um, the, these, these iterations occur and these complex dynamic systems occur in what we call phase space. So phase space is uh, the infinite possibilities of a given system. And this can occur in three-dimensional phase space, or the term I like to use for what I like to delve into and what applies to uh, the type of architecture that I call fractal architecture is what I call fourth-dimensional phase space. So what I'm getting into is you know, so far we've talked about three-dimensional geometric figures of fractals. So um, like trees, uh, that, that is a fractal that occurs in the third dimension. Uh, erosion patterns, as I talked about earlier. And the interesting thing about erosion patterns is that you could do this um, fractal test yourself. You could go out in your backyard, turn on your garden hose in a, a patch of dirt, and check out the pattern that is created with each um, water flow. It doesn't just flow down one, it branches out into each different spot. And this is subject to initial conditions such as the slope, the, um, the, the type of ground, the amount of flow of water. Maybe obstacles. There may be obstacles, but, that, but that's the whole thing is that there's the, 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 the consistency of any sort of uh, surface isn't usually as consistent as we're used to. You know? so, so, so what about, sorry to interrupt you, but what about, you know, water sh in a stream? You know, with all, there's rocks and logs in, in the middle of the stream and, and the water, you know, forms to those things. I, I don't know. And this, this has no correlation, does it? Well, it does because those are different variables. But those I mean, are different. You're talking about erosion and how, how, it, how it fills space and it, it changes variably in a way. It, it does change variably, and those are all variable uh, inputs. Those are chaotic uh, variables, and which make the system seem like it would be unpredictable. But interesting thing, your garden hose will produce a very similar uh, pattern that if you were to go fly over most rivers, the patterns are the same. You could, I could give you, I could go in my backyard that's you know all dirt and don't have any grass. And mm, I can now. flow that garden hose, take the small zoomed in picture and then tell you like, oh, look, check out the Colorado River today. Oh, I get it. Because now this goes back to what you were saying in the beginning about magnification. Yes. Ah. The magnification is, 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 is irrelevant. And if you ever, you know, looked at your yard, and, you know, if you're unkept yard, you don't keep a lawn or anything. In our desert, our, our small yard, you could take a picture of a small portion of your yard and scale it up and it would look just like the uh you know a couple acres of desert you know they're not exactly the same of course i mean if if i had certain weeds in there you go that doesn't look like it occurs in the desert but you, i feel like it, with the point you're trying to make it's not about the specific details it's about the overall you what, know. what my point is is that the variable initial conditions are the same so the processes that work on the small scale also work on the large scale and one of the big problems in science right now is trying to come up with a way to unify 
theory of the small, quantum physics, and theory of the big, relativity. So right now, Einstein and his theories and Stephen Hawking's theories are colliding. They don't they don't work well together, even though they they want to work well together. But the patterns we see that occur on the quantum level aren't the same that happen on the large scale. And now I know I just said that fractals occur on the large and small scale, but they occur in complex dynamic systems. And a lot of this math does work for the small and the large, but when you get to the quantum scale is when stuff starts to happen differently is where, is where patterns start to appear more chaotic. Uh, the initial conditions seem more chaotic than anything that we can, uh, uh, reconcile. So that's why that's a lot of the struggle between those two. So you know, one of the ways to unify both of them is to look at uh, fractal patterns and how a small pattern could be the same as it can on a large scale. So that's why you know right now uh, chaos theory and fractal patterns are kind of on the forefront of uh, modern science, and uh, that's that's why they could be pretty important to how we're going to decide to move forward and how we want to understand our universe better. And fractals are one of the ways to understand the Earth's natural systems and the universe's natural systems. And what I'm interested in is fourth dimensional phase space. So that is a pattern that is has the added coefficient of time. So time is the uh, added coefficient to the equation. And uh, as you know, uh, as I was talking about, the pendulum is that those iterations occur over the coefficient of time. So that is another initial condition is uh, the time period in which these occur. So they're not just three-dimensional, two-dimensional drawn geometric patterns. Patterns also occur within the fourth dimension. So real quick, I'll explain what the fourth dimension is. So the fourth dimension is a um, is a dimension made up of time is, uh, is is what's theorized. So these are all just theories about what the fourth dimension is. But uh, I would say there is real world examples. Uh, the arrow of time is a um, is an illusion, um, though a persistent illusion. Uh, we perceive things to happen forward in time only. So we think that time isn't a fluid thing. It's a linear point A to point B type thing. That That is a, you know, that's a very primitive way of understanding time. Uh, that's because we are, we only see the forward arrow of time. But the interesting thing is physics, the calculations work whether time is going forward or where it's going backward. If you were to drop a glass on the ground right now and it would shatter if you were to run those same equa uh, same equation of momentum and velocities and um, uh, trajectories of where all that glass would go, if you were to turn all those equations, flip them in reverse, they would, the cup would come together and fly back up onto the table. The math works forward and reverse equally the same. But how do you get it to work reverse when you can't? Well, we only time. we only perceive it to go that way, but the math works both ways. Right. The math says if you reverse those vortices and the, the velocity of each piece of glass that shattered, if you were to equally reverse those, the math would run so just... theoretically speaking. Yeah, well, it, it runs just as well forward as it does backwards. The math mm -hmm. doesn't say that time can't run backwards. We say right. it can't because we only perceive it to go forward. We like have this predetermined notion of, of time being linear in a way. And, you know, w with good reason, we're, we're three-dimensional creatures. Um, uh, if we were fourth-dimensional, uh, life would be way different <laughs> as we know it. And, uh, you know, one, one of the best examples of what a fourth-dimensional being would be is actually from the, the movie Interstellar has a really great quote. And, and, and it's, from, uh, it's, it's from one of the main uh, female characters, uh, the scientist. I, I don't remember what any of their names are. Any of the characters, even Matt Damon's character. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I remember his name even. I've always and, been bad with that stuff. <laughs> and, and she says the, the absolute perfect line to describe what a fourth or fifth dimensional being would be like. And what she says is that going forward in time could be like going up a mountain and going backward in time could be like going down in a ditch. 
And I think that's just perfect for trying to explain what a fourth dimensional being would be like to three dimensional beings who only see things in a length, width, and height. Because we see time as a linear, uh, non uh, fluid uh, system and only seems to go forward. But as I said, you know, th- there's an arrow of time that seems persistent in the universe. But if you run the equations in reverse, which is one of the reasons we got the theory of the Big Bang, is because we looked at the expansion of the galaxies and how far they were getting away from each other. And we reversed those and came to an uh, inevitable um, uh, hypothesis that all those must have been condensed into one fine point because they all came from one fine point if you reverse the vertices and the, you know, the the um, velocity of each of those galaxies, they all confine into one point. So that's where the inevitability of uh, the Big Bang came from, and that's why we think that that happened. So what I'm what I'm getting at is that time seems that it could be fluid, and it could run in reverse. It could run up and down and sideways, and you know, trying to describe it to three dimensional beings is really difficult. And you know, we're all it's hard for any of us. To understand it in the third dimension but the easiest way i could describe a fourth dimensional line could be if i was at one side of a 20 by 20 foot room and i threw a ball to myself and i caught it five seconds in the future me traveling that 20 feet in that room would be a line in the fourth dimension if you could see it from start to finish happen at simultaneously so it'd be like if you stretched out my geometric figure from that start to finish would that would be a line in the fourth dimension if you saw me go like that it would be like it'd be like a fourth dimensional line and one of the best examples that we have real world is if you turn your fan fast enough it looks like a solid object mm-hmm. and that's essentially oh uh, that make the example i think the example helps me understand a lot more than how you worded it before well, well, that because that's a real world example, and right. it, uh, it, our, the amount of hertz that we can take in you know, through light waves is only at to mount. So when that starts to click at around the same hertz, it becomes a solid. For example, if regular uh, fluorescent bulbs they flicker, and sometimes if you uh, attune to the same frequency and hertz, if you if you, you know, if your hertz align for one second, you know through that uh, uh, what's called harmonic oscillation. If those if those align for that two seconds, you can see kind of a flicker. Oh, this is like a flutter, right? Yeah. yeah, like like a flutter. You know, if you're ever getting really tired or something in class, which most of us probably do, if that's ever happening, uh, you probably see a flutter in the fluorescent bulbs that are above your head, and that's happening because these don't just produce a constant light; they produce a light on a hertz that's a lot greater than ours, so we don't see it. It's like an optical illusion. Yeah, essentially. And and that's what I'm saying the fan's doing. The fan's spinning so fast that the amount of uh, hertz we get in light retrieval data from the fan starts to blend into where the fan last was. And it's happening so fast that we're starting to see where the fan was. So this is similar to like sound delay of an airplane. If an airplane goes by, you see the airplane go by and then the sound from the engines come over you. That kind of delay. That's kind of what you're seeing with the fan. And it's moving so fast that you're getting light delay from it in the future and it in the past. So technically, that's kind of seeing force dimensionally. You're seeing that as a solid. So if you were to see me walk in that line in the fourth dimension, you would see me as a solid walking through that fourth dimension. It's almost like kind of kind of creepy to think about for some reason well i don't, I don't know why well, <laughs> but, but, but see okay bear, bear with me here's here's where my point starts to become full circle is that your pattern of behavior and where you were if you were to draw that in the fourth dimension would come out to be a fractal pattern your pattern and where you walk where you go where you drive if you start to run that over and over again if your day to day is somewhat similar you'll start to see a pattern. Oh, I guarantee. Yeah. And that would be a pattern and a geometric figure within the fourth dimensional phase space. And some of those parts of the pattern would be darker than others or more prominent than others. Yes, exactly. But nonetheless, a pattern. Nonetheless, it would be a pattern. 
think this is starting to make more sense now that I've had the, you know, DJ and I have gone through some pre-production for this podcast over the past few weeks, and uh, I've been a long-time friend of DJ's, and, you know, he explains a lot, and sometimes it's hard for me to grasp, and that's, you know, essentially why, you know, we mentioned I'm here is to try and bridge that gap for everybody but uh, I think in the pre-production, I was a bit lost even after speaking to you for a few hours. And, and this, this hour so far has like helped me understand the real world examples and, and, and stringing your ideas together, like more understand what's going on, I think. Okay. Then on the, on the, on the, 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 the base level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's I mean, great. I, I, like, I think that, you know, I always, I, I, when you said that fractals were, you know, a pattern, like I understand that. And, and then they, they repeat over and over and, you know, I, I understood the chaos theory, but, you know, hearing kind of these other things implemented into the chaos theory, it, um, I think it makes more sense now. Well, the, the, the more nodes you put of a web together, the more that web starts to appear to be an actual figure instead of just random interconnectedness of points. And what's interesting about me actually using an example as a web is that a spider's web is actually a fractal pattern. So that's another pattern that nature does intelligently, not even just um, unintentionally, it it creates those patterns. So uh, uh, again, that's bringing home my point of how um, fractal patterns seem to be essential to the fabric of our universe and life seems to form along that way. And that's why so many organic um, type of organisms have arranged themselves like trees and animals. A lot of animals follow uh, the Fibonacci sequence on one of the uh, most famous ones is the uh, Nautilus shell. You cut that open. It's a Fibonacci sequence. And these are, these are, animals that have been around for a really long time. I mean, uh, like we talked about earlier, the DNA strand, the double helix is a Fibonacci sequence. So even the basic fundamental makeup of life is in a Fibonacci sequence. So it only makes sense that that pattern is self-repeated in its geometric state when you produce the organism. So it's interesting how the DNA, which is the instruction manual for uh, what you're going to look like is a fractal and produces a geometric fractal after that life is uh, code has been, you know, and turned into life. Is it was there a specific time that you, you learned about some of these ideas and were able to see them translated into your own life and around you? I mean, um, do you think after being some of us being made aware of these things, we'll start to notice them in our dailies? Oh, oh, definitely. And, it, and it's not something that happens overnight. You start to just, you know, uh, 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 throughout the day, you start having these aha moments the more you think about fractals. You go, okay, well, I wonder if that's a fractal. And then you look at it and you go, whoa, <laughs> there's a total pattern there. And that's all science is to me. And I don't see science as separate, uh, uh, you know, categories. You know, people are, oh, a biologist. And, you know, we, we, we do need, don't get me wrong, we do need specialists in each field of science, but I don't know why we have this such separation of science in school, why we don't, okay, this is earth science, this is uh, biology, this is chemistry, this is physics. All of them are interconnected to each other. All of them share the same fractal patterns. All of them share the same sort of variables they all build off of each other and all those bits of science are all the same thing to me and that is observation of the natural earth systems and the the makeup of the universe and to me all those things need to be looked at in a giant web of interconnected behaviors right it's like as if when you treat them on their own you're um you so it's sort of like our political climate here you know how you have to either be republican or democrat you know they don't work intercollectively i feel like science is past that and we shouldn't be hung up on biology versus this they all work together and they are all science in a way well it, it is past that because it's more complex than that and, and uh, nature doesn't go oh it's this way or that way and that's that nature has too many variables uh it it has too much complexity to be uh like human institutions like politics and government uh, and economics those are all 
human institutions, even though fractals do pay, play a huge part in our economics. And I'll talk about that in a later episode in depth, but uh, our economics, uh, if you're an economist, you're going to deal huge in, in fractal equations because it has complex initial conditions and complex chaotic behavior. And so that's something I will talk about. Right. And that's the basis of them. Yeah. You know, they have the, you, you said you, they have to have those initial, um, you know, conditions. Yes. And to, to kind of bring all this home, uh, this, this first episode is kind of an introduction into uh, some of the main things that this podcast is going to be talking about. So uh, the, the knowledge of chaos theory and fractals, um, kind of play the huge part in what this is about. And the next episodes, I'm going to delve into uh, in way more extreme detail every single subtopic that this plays into and how it all plays into my ideal fractal architecture. Right now, we have buildings that are mostly static. We build buildings with walls, foundations, footings, and a roof system. And that's it. We leave it alone. We go, okay, then we're done with that house. It's finished. Right. But we're building houses in a dynamic, complex dynamic system, which is the natural world. So I have a question for you here. Uh, in the same way that, you know, at the very beginning of the episode, you said how fractal uh, architecture, in a way, is like a new way of thinking. It's kind of escaping the old, or as I said, killing the sacred cows. It sounds like within like that's that's essentially what the idea of fractal is but even within that um it, it's even more about that like what you're speaking to now is the same exact thing but within fractal the, the, i, I kind of lost my point there <laughs> uh, i i get what your point was getting at um what, what, what you're saying okay well what i'm saying is that, okay I, I think i can actually i can actually expand a little bit more you're okay. saying how the house um, how it's like it has to have a walls and a, and a floor and a ceiling and that's like the standard way of thinking right oh, yes and that's kind of how i feel like in the beginning you were saying there's one standard way of thinking about science or architecture but we have to think you know forward i think in the same way that you were fra just inherently embracing fractal is thinking forward in the same way uh you applying it to housing or whatever is um it's it's like a way of thinking forward almost um, and, and, and the reason is because, like I was saying, Fibonacci sequence has occurred in architecture ever since, uh, you know, the, the earliest buildings, like from the ancient Greeks. But th what's different is that these were still static buildings. This geometry was deterministic by uh, uh, fractal patterns. But the buildings themselves were still static. They didn't interact they didn't ebb and flow with the natural flow of our natural environment. And that's a problem. And we live our system, our, our entire social economic system is built off of how we interact with our buildings. And buildings are, they're, they're extremely important in our society. Think about it. You spend every night in a building, you go to work in a building, you go to school in a building, you drive to different buildings to do different things. Your life revolves around uh, these static buildings, and you go from one static building to the other. And our habits and our patterns are deterministic by the initial conditions in which our housing is set up. And the, these, these initial conditions will determine how we live our lives. And the architecture has to change in order for our social economic system to change, in order for our being at odds with the environment will change. And the way that I factored this in, and the reason it is called fractal architecture, is because I want to create dynamic buildings that are responsive and interactive to complex dynamic systems. These complex dynamic systems can be anything from uh, erosion patterns, rain patterns, solar patterns, and the overall changing of our environment and how we can blend in to become a complex system in our ecosystem. So these buildings will be reactive and responsive to the natural world around them. And they will fit in to a new place within our ecosystem, 
Right now, our cities are detached from the ecosystem. And what I'm looking for is a way to populate what the impact of our integration into the ecosystem would be if we were to build houses that are similar to a tree and how a tree responds to an environment and how us as a human race can become a low impact species that is able to integrate ourselves within the ecosystem in the way we see fit. And I believe that the way to do this is through fractal architecture. So if you would please join me on this journey, our fractal journey through the paradigm shift, which is fractal architecture. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.